Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season three premiere, uh, The Law of Vacant Places. What did you think of this episode? Uh, I th- I th- so I thought this was a much more Fargo feeling episode than the premiere for the second season was, with with Rye and all of his, yeah, his stuff and Luce going Alverson on. and and I wonder uh-huh. if and and I, I I think it was a good instinct to go back and 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 look at the Salverson family history and go back to that you know horrific incident that Lou talked about in the first season, but ultimately. Yeah. In something that's already an anthology that's got a lot of constraints on it, maybe that was one constraint too too many. Now I know a lot of people liked the second season. I mm-hmm. thought it was pretty good television with a left turn to Albuquerque that I wasn't ready for, <laughs> right. and kind of turned me off on the whole experiment. But um, I also don't think there's very many people that would say they like it better than season two or season one. Um, yeah. You know. Obviously, you exist. You don't have to email me and tell you. I, I know you're out there. But I think the majority, just judging by the Reddit and the, the forum stuff, seems to be that you know, everyone likes season one better. So mm-hmm. I feel like this with a clean slate is uh, feels more like Fargo. Um, it's interesting because when I was look, refreshing my notes, I have the notes from the last year which is, you know, like 16 months ago. Mm-hmm. And it says, Fargo returns in the spring of 2017 to be an examination of a modern obsession with selfie culture. Right. And I guess I see, I, I don't know if he's he's changed that because I see a little bit of hints of that with, uh, you know, conspicuous use of cell phones and, and uh, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead using a, a self, you know, Facebooking her bridge victory in the bathtub. But I wonder if there's going to be more of that because... Mm-hmm. I I felt like this established a lot of what I would call Kafka esque themes. Yeah, for sure. And explored those, which I found very interesting. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I don't know. I'm. It was a good episode. I just don't know if I'm in for the. It feels very Fargo formulaic. It feels just like this is more of the same thing that you've seen the first two seasons, and. Like, in some ways, that's good because, I mean, it does have a distinctive style as a show. But in some ways, I feel like I'm growing a little bit tired of it. It's kind of – yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, each season is starting to feel like a Law & Order episode. The yeah. first episode, yeah. you're always going to have – you're always going to close it with a shocking murder. Yeah, it's always the horrific violence uh-huh. amongst this, you know, very placid place. And it's right. not – it's – I don't know. At some point, I want some some different flavor Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I can go elsewhere for right. the other flavors. I mean, that's kind of within. I mean, I don't know. Like the better anthologies have more freedom to go around and change setting and times and places. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, I think that there is there the, the, there. I mean, the thing I guess that makes Fargo for me is the setting. It's the people. It's the accents. And for yeah. the television version, it's the music. I think Noah Hawley continues to. Uh, and I know he's not doing it. He's got people that do it for him, but he makes really, really smart musical choices mm-hmm. um, that 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 make the action more interesting. And I also think this season maybe has the biggest star power of them all. Like you got yeah. Ewan McGregor. Um, was it a little bit of a stunt casting playing? Not turns out not twin brothers, um, but brothers, mm-hmm. and they both have a you know they're very. Um, I, I guess I thought it was going to be more of the. Um, you, you know the other brothers from previous seasons. What were the? It wasn't the mechanic brothers, was it? 
Um, the ones that were running yeah, around with Mike Milligan. I don't remember their names, but yeah, it was Wrench and, and something. Oh, that was in the first... I'm talking about the identical twins from the that was in Mike Milligan's crew. Anyway, it doesn't... Oh, the guy, the Amish guys with the hats, right? They're not Amish. <laughs> I know they're yeah. not Amish, but... Um, but I, I thought that it was going to be more like that, but I... Because I, yeah. I didn't know anything about this season other than Carrie Coon is in it and Ewan McGregor plays brothers. Yeah. And I... I thought they were going to be identical twins, but they actually really, really do a good job of uh, distinguishing these guys from another. I mean, yeah, it's not just even the makeup, right? Because obviously they look very different, but right, um, still both recognizably you and McGregor. But he embodies them with very different personalities, and they have very different histories. They're very different. Yeah. Po- they're very different classes. They're at yeah. different points in their life. One has reached a, a level that they think they're they're happy and content, but there's danger lurking on the surface and the oh, other yeah. the other guy has kind of not hit rock bottom but just can't get his life started and but he's got some, a new kind of thing optimistic thing that he's striking out on with this this uh, relationship with his parolee <laughs> girlfriend he did yeah he did Nikki, have it yeah, yeah yeah um so i don't know and there's also lots of there's also a lot of uh flavor from previous far because as you said it's almost like you're mixing and matching archetypes there's a lot of yeah. um uh the girl who kissed Spider-Man. I, I'm I'm totally unprepared. To, Kirsten Dunst. There's a lot yeah. of Kirsten Dunst's character in in Nikki. Uh-huh. Um, she's I, I would say she's the fully actualized version. Oh yeah, of uh, that character. Um, but I I, and I don't know. And, and uh, Carrie Coon is playing the classic uh, uh, Fargo sheriff, right? Fargo de- uh, the chief. So there's a lot to like in here, and and also and I think they did a good job setting up. Um, the tensions. I, I think the tensions feel very real. They feel mm-hmm. um, important for all these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do. I mostly like the structure. I just don't know if I'm ready for more of more of what Fargo offers just right. just yet. Hey, before we talk about the episode proper, I want to let you know other things going on at BaldMove.com because we are jam packed. Not only are we doing Fargo, we're also doing HBO's Leftovers. We're doing Better Call Saul. We're doing what we call Bald Move TV, where we're going to be this week uh, and, and early next week summing up the whole series of girls. We're going to be talking about The Expanse on Sci-Fi, which is a great new science fiction show. Uh, we're also going to be uh, doing uh, first-run Bald Movies coming up, which is uh, Tom Hanks' Vehicle the Circle. week after that, I think, is Guardians of the Galaxy. We also have a commission podcast coming up, which is uh, the remake of The Wicker Man starring the incomparable Nicolas Cage. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons and tons of stuff coming out all the time on baldmove.com. Uh, if you're interested in any of those shows, please check them out. Uh, so let's uh, – I suggest we start with Emmett. Uh, he is the younger brother, yet he looks 20 years younger than his older bro- – than his younger brother. He's the one that's got – He's the one the, – Emmett is the one – Emmett and Ray are the two brothers. Yeah, Emmett's, Emmett's older. No, Emmett's the younger one. Uh, okay, that's not what I got. But Is he the older brother? <laughs> I thought so, yeah. Oh, that's right, because he's, he's, he's the, the real older brother, guy. but he looks younger. Right. Uh, right. I can't. I can't explain that. Maybe maybe Ray got all the bad ge- genes. Yeah, and also uh, he's probably taking better care of himself. He's got sure. He's lived an easier life. Let's say. Right. How many years has Ray lived in the Corvette? 
because the number's not zero. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. It's not. And that's the worst. If you have to pick a car to live in, Corvette's uh-huh. amongst the worst, I It's believe. approaching infinity. <laughs> it's uh, the number of years. <laughs> uh, but he's got... So it's interesting because they establish him as a guy who's kind of like he's the the parking lot king. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of interesting imagery of Ray, who's his brother, and he's working this shit parole officer job. And he's always looking out at this window because he parks in in this lot that is is, uh, one of his his, his brother's uh, Stussy. Stussy Lots Limited Uh is always there looking him in the face, his brother's massive wealth. And we open up with them having some sort of party. It might be an anniversary soiree that he's throwing champagne yeah. dinner everybody dressed in the nines and ray and his girlfriend are in the background um you know kind of casting shade over everything um what the, the what it, the, the other th- character that kind of is in Emmett's orbit that we have to talk about is michael stolberg barg yeah um Cy, playing this character named Sai, who is his consigliere yeah I'd say so. And as much as, uh, you know, someone from... His from, lawyer, technically. His right. attorney, whatever. Right, right, right. Uh, and I, I I haven't seen him in anything really since Boardwalk Empire, where he played okay. uh, Arnold Rothstein. Yeah, holy shit, he did. Oh, you didn't remember This guy's enigmatic to me. Like, his look, he can look like anything. It's really weird. It kind of in the way that um, Gary Oldman can sort of look sure. different sure. in everything he plays. He does have a bit of a wide-eyed kind of thing to him that i thought that you just you might recognize and i know oh i i recognize him now that you say it, yeah and i know he's actually been in something uh recently that we both seen and i uh-huh. can't remember what it is um and of course he's also a direct connection to uh the cohen universe because he starred in a serious man i haven't seen that one. Oh, that's the one that's okay because i yeah. finally got all the cohen brothers films under my belt <laughs> okay I, I watched a lot in the off season because I got tired of people, you know, hoisting me by my own uh, reference petard. Uh-huh. Um, so these guys uh, have uh, we we understand that they've had some difficulties, but they resolved it with a, some sort of bridge loan that oh, they got this, yeah. from some sort of nefarious connection. Turns out to be organized crime. Is let's it? Say. I mean, it's some kind of thing. I mean, it's. In my mind, it's got to be organized crime. That's what that's what season two dealt with. Maybe they're not going to go back there. I don't know. Right, because because they, they talk about they they, it, they this happened like a year or two ago, two years ago. Mm. Um, they got out of their difficulty. They want to pay this back with interest. They called to contact, and they just get a, a bunch of clicking and buzzing. Yeah, and then out of nowhere, late at night, uh, uh, this guy who identifies himself as VM Varga shows up, played by David Thewlis. Uh huh. Who you might recognize from Dragonheart, you might recognize right. him from Harry Potter, no. you might recognize him from the Island of Doctor Moreau, Zero uh, Theorem, or a thousand other things. Like yeah, this yeah. guy's all over the place. He, he's, he's he's had a long and, and distinguished career. Yeah, uh, and he's with Narwhal Investors, and he says when they want to pay him back, he says, "No, you 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 keep it because we." You 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 saw this as a loan. We see this as an investment, and we're now going to yeah. use your company as a giant money laundering scheme. Mm-hmm. And what do you do about that? Well, I feel like you just instantly go to the cops. They have okay. nothing. You have presumed like like I'm 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 taking. Here's the thing. I'm taking Syed's <laughs> word that he's a real lawyer, and I don't know that any of this is true. That he's a real lawyer. Uh-huh. That he's a good lawyer. He's a diligent lawyer that's looking out after Emmett. And they have a contract that mm-hmm. clearly defines the terms, and they've lived up to theirs. So, like, yeah, but that's like 
unless Narwhal's going to come and just execute all these guys right. after they've talked to the cops and alerted them to the pre- that this this seems like a extortion scheme with no real teeth to it. But all extortion schemes have no real teeth other than the threat of violence. I mean, well, not all of them, but the certainly the ones where they walk in and say, "Oh, nice shop you have. Be ashamed if something bad were to happen to it." Right. Of course, you go to the cops immediately, but then you risk retribution. So I guess you risk. If, so do you, do these people? I mean, I, I guess it's one thing if it's like nineteen. 19- <laughs> 1940s, 1950s New York, but do like if if I'm Emmett inside, do I suspect that organized crime has bought the police departments around me? I, now, I don't know. Again, man. this is Fargo to television yeah. show. Sure, of course they have, but do they know that? <laughs> right. I just feel like the play. Like I, I would be surprised if the play isn't that they go to the cops because that's what I think a law-abiding person does when someone. Sure, I. I think they will do that, but I think that's just going to get them deeper. It's not like in the original Fargo movie where they staged this kidnapping of the guy's daughter and right. they've got so they like immediate, go. like, hey, if you go to the cops, you kill her. Right. Like, they have nothing. In fact, they have a million dollars of the other guy's money. I don't, I don't see where the leverage is other than the naked threat that if you don't play yeah, along, something bad it. will happen to you. Yeah. But – as far as I know, Emmett and Cy haven't done anything illegal, mm-hmm. so I don't know why they wouldn't go to the cops. Yeah, I mean, maybe that that is their first move, but I don't know that that's going to be the end of it. I don't right. know that that solves their problem. Right. Um, but I think th- that's that's the interesting thing about it. Now, there's a couple things I want to talk about just from the performances. Um, when we first meet Emmett and he's given this uh, toast to his wife, mm-hmm. I... I get a lot of pleasure watching actors do a performance within a performance. Hmm. I'm saying like this, this, this husband and wife thing is almost like a routine. He's telling the story. She interrupts at all the right points. She does the exact, the rolling her eyes and exasperated sizes and hams it up. And like, I'm watching a person pretend to do something that they're pretending to do. Uh I really, I I don't know. I really like that. Especially when someone like big, like Ewan McGregor is doing it. Uh Um, Well, he was pretending to pretend that there was a, Sith Lord after him for a while. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's the other reason why his brother can't beat him. He's standing on the staircase. He's got the high ground. Right. I've got the high ground, Ray. Uh, high ground and a green screen. You can't even see me. I'm wearing all green. I'm in my uh, green man suit. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting is when Psy comes over to Ray and says, I got you five minutes, there's this tracking shot of Ray going into his brother's office. Mm-hmm. And it's the most nonchalant inverted camera. Yeah. Which usually, like we saw that last season, Better Call Saul, where um, Chuck is having an episode in the hospital, and it's yeah. it's 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 all tracking shot of him upside down going through the hospital. And we're supposed to feel like this is something that's 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 very unnerving and skewed. This was a very average shot of establishing shot, and for some reason, no Noah Hawley inverts the camera. Right. So there are a couple of things in here stylistically that I don't like. Mm. Uh, most of it, I do. I want to make that clear, but. Um, very specifically, I didn't really like that shot because it didn't seem to have much of a purpose other than to be stylistically interesting. Well, um, the other point of style that I didn't like in this episode is I absolutely hated the track that they played while uh, what's her name Gloria is searching the house. That throat singing, yeah, the, shit, I hated the Tibetan that. throat singing. Terrible. Yeah. You know, there's a there are a couple. There's good company. I enjoyed it because it felt. Sinister and wrong, uh-huh. which I think is the 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 emotion you're going for. Now, immediately after that, there's a shot of Ray sitting in this corridor, 
And do you remember when we were talking about um, we did a we did a, a a movie review of The Shining? Mm-hmm. And they talk about how Stanley Kubrick did some impossible geography inside the hotel so that on a subconscious level it feels wrong. Right? Did you notice that this corridor? It's a long it's it's a long corridor with a window at the end. There's some doors on each side. Ray is sitting on the left side, and there's a sta- at the at the foreground. You can see a staircase descending. Yeah. But Psy opens up these big double doors in a hallway that's like twice as big, and 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 the the light falls on Ray, and Ray goes over. Hmm. How where how is that hallway constructed? And I'm wondering with the skewed camera if Noah Hollies is trying to do some of this almost shining esque impossible geometry to get at this the idea that something not quite right is going on here. But why? Because at this point in the show, that shouldn't really be the thing on my mind. Like, well, there's but- nothing weird or strange happening necessarily he's just i guess gearing me up for something to come later well remember in the shining the first time they used the impossible geography is when uh when richard nixon when uh <laughs> jack, uh, nicholson? jack nicholson yeah, yeah trick, tricky jack when he goes in for the interview it hits you right off the bat that he takes him to the internal room of the of the hotel that's got the external window right so, like, that's before anything weird happens in the movie. Well, other than the tracking shot of Jack with the crazy-ass music playing. Uh-huh. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of, like, to get you into that frame of mood from the beginning. So, like, yeah, I, don't, I suppose so. I don't know that shit has to break bad before you start fucking with people's imagination. And I also don't know, like, there could be a perfectly architecturally valid reason to have... Yeah. But I can't imagine it, because how do you get to that hallway? Yeah, I mean, we we need the documentary room. We do whatever fourteen oh eight or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starring John Cusack and Jack Nicholson. Four nineteen to explain. Planes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Uh, so that is there anything else we need to talk about as far as I just like Emmett? the I, I like the play between the two brothers here. Um, you know, one of them being so successful, the other being down on their luck and really blaming the other for no good reason whatsoever, right? Do there's... you think there's something to Ray? Because here's the, the the thing is, is these two brothers, uh, they inherited their father's, yeah. I don't even want to call it a fortune because it seems like it's a Corvette. Yeah. Reasonably, you know, it's a nice a nice, nice Corvette. It was probably nice when he got it. And yeah. a nice stamp collection. Uh-huh. And the stamp collection turned out to be worth millions. Right. There were several dozen stamps. Uh Emmett's got one left that he keeps in a pretty ostentatious frame in mm-hmm. his office. Ray says, you tricked me into taking the car. And Emmett says, no, that's not true at all. Do you who do you who do you believe? I don't quite yet know who to believe because I don't know the circumstances around their father's death. Like when did he die? Were they nine years old or were they thirty years old? Because right. I don't see a nine year old going Oh fuck yeah, stamp collection baby! Yeah, and, and I see how a nine-year-old going. I want the Corvette, Dad. And how much older is Emmett? Is, right. is Emmett like twenty, and his brother's sixteen? Yeah, but because because it seems like the, what you would do is you'd have all the stuff appraised. You wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's sentimental value in a car. Maybe they both always wanted a car. We, yeah. I don't know enough, but there's definitely Emmett definitely sees it as. You made your bed, and now you don't want to lie in it. You got buyer's remorse because I've got all these nice things, and now you have to take small loans from me to repair your fucking Corvette. Right. And Ray sees it as you swindled me, and he comes back wanting a sizable amount of money to buy his girlfriend, Nikki, a ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was interesting how quickly Emmett and Cy smoked out. Like, oh, you meet her at work? 
Yeah. Because he's a parole. He turns out Ray's a parole officer, mm-hmm. and Nikki's his parolee, or who you know, however that works out. Yeah. Uh, not a great idea. I, I get the impression of Ray that he's a man who does not make good decisions. Sure. It's not. It's not that he's a product of this one you know misinformed or badly made decision that cost him millions of dollars it's mm-hmm. that he routinely makes poor decisions and maybe that is the thing like that stuck in his cross so bad that he can't see past it and it keeps him yeah. it keeps him trapped in whatever cycle of crazy shit he's doing but he's certainly yeah. as, as shown as a guy who makes rash impulsive selfish decisions mm-hmm. without thinking the consequence because we see him do it several more times yeah. this particular episode right um so do we want to talk, let's talk about Ray and Nikki a little bit. Um, Nikki has dreams of being a professional bridge player. Right. Now, I know nothing about bridge. Me either. I know that the it, there's at one point, and I think this is um, you know thematic, she says to Ray, you're the dummy. And I did look up enough to know that the dummy's pres- the dummy's job is to play all of their hands, their play their cards face up on the table. And then do nothing else. The other player. What's the purpose of that? I, I, I don't know. Does it? I mean, is it a psych out? <laughs> well, like... because because before, so so you you played like um, what the Midwest were all crazy about euchre, euchre. yeah, and it's uh, you know where you you just you tell how many tricks you think or how many hands you think you can win. Mm. And then you, you're, you're kind of bidding on that, and whoever's got the higher gets to do it. But then if they fail, they they lose. Now both, but the thing is, you have to make those bids only knowing what's in your hand. You can't, you don't know what is in the dummy's hand. Right. So I think there's a little bit when she says we're hand and glove. There's got to be a little bit of. I mean, obviously, table talk is illegal. It's like going alone, sort of. Yeah, yeah. In except euchre? for you can use their hand too. But if okay. you miscalculate, um, and here. So, so the episode title is The Law of Vacant Places, right? Uh-huh. And that talks about the theory of bridge of how knowing what's in your hand, how you can pro- with, with probability decide what is in the defender's hands and yeah. what's in your partner's hands. And by making him a dummy playing right. face up, then right. you would have better information, I guess? Well, you have to like make – Everyone have to, you have would to do, have that I, I think you have to make the bid and declare who's the, the lead and who's the dummy before you know what's in their hand. So I guess – Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know nothing about Bridge, but I got to say this montage made it look pretty cool. It does look cool. <laughs> Even though you've got you know a bunch of 90-year-olds in here, it essentially looks like a bingo hall. Except, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're playing card games, and I don't know. I thought it looked pretty cool. Uh, you know, as someone who just recently played bingo on a lark, uh-huh. you can make anything cool and interesting if you put money and stakes behind it. That's true. And if you have, like, <laughs> hardware, like sp- like purpose-built oh, yeah. for the game. yeah, like where you can put – you got, like, contracts and bids right. and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And really I, cool. I just want to use one of those bingo stampers. Yeah. Because those are cool. Yeah, I got one now. You do? <laughs> I Damn. do. I got a bingo marker. Um, so there's a lot of – I think that there's this um, – this bridge is probably going to be a continued lens that we we, we view things through. Now, the yeah. bad news is I think we're in good company, and the vast majority of Americans have no idea anything about bridge. So we're either in for an education or they're going to be very shallow, surface-level <laughs> allusions to the game right. of bridge. Yeah, uh, I mean, it seems like you know calling him the dummy here Yeah, seems like she's just – not stringing him along, but pulling him along. Yeah, because like, she's she sees all the hands that he has, or all the cards he has in his hands, and she's right. able. To, she's actually the one making plays. Yeah, 
throughout most of the episode, mm-hmm. or she's at least fixing the mistakes that he's made um, by 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 making these plays. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, uh, I saw several reviews review, review um, talking about her being delusional as far as the value of an like a professional bridge player, and I guess okay. None of the claims that she made, like that they could win these tournaments and get sponsorships in the, and we're talking six figures. Like, I believe that a top bridge player could probably get a hundred thousand dollars in winnings and endorsement in a year. That doesn't seem Maybe. extravagant. I have no clue. Right. Like, if it was poker, I would say that's super low. But I and and, and I well bridge. Sure. I have no idea. Right. Right. It's like ping pong when Forrest Gump wins ping pong. Like if I, I, yeah, I believe you could bit, get fifty, sixty thousand dollars if you're the best. You know, if you're going yeah. to the Olympics and you're you're playing ping pong, you like, can do it playing Magic the Gathering. Hell yeah! I think so, Magic the Gathering though is more popular than Bridge. Yeah, probably at this would, point, wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Uh, so anyway, I, I I don't I don't know what to make of that because I was surprised. I thought this kind of you know I, I thought this seemed like a realistic plan, other than the fact that it's based on. A ludicrous proposition that she's his parolee, yeah, and he's and they're breaking multiple multiple rules. There's probably illegalities. Facebooking about it, like yeah. I thought, oh well, the cops are going to bust in and arrest her for breaking her parole and right. arrest him for dating his parolee, right? Because she posted it on Facebook. That's how people get caught, you idiot. Right, right. There's a lot of interesting. So the other the other visual I really enjoyed um, is. Uh, the piss takes. Yes. I'll call them. Oh, such a good montage. Yeah, it's almost like the the the, the fountains in Vegas. Like uh-huh. they just there's all these crisscrossing <laughs> streams and and bubbles and it also it also compares Emmett's life where he's like the champagne bubbly and right. then Ray's life where he's got the piss bubbly. And he's got Amish guys who the harvest are bad, and I had what I needed grain. And you've got the hippie that wants to know why the government gives a shit about what she does in her own house. And I, I liked all that stuff. Yeah, um, me too. Did you recognize the song from the bridge montage, or did you mm. do any research into it? That wasn't crazy on you, was it? That was no, just no. at the beginning. Yeah, this was the song, and I've heard it before because one of the things I've always been interested in. Is do you know how like if you're trying to imitate like a French person, you don't speak oh, French, but you're like about this. you're like si vous off and you've got like right. a kind of feel. And I'm I'm, I'm going to stick with French because anything else I do would probably sound super racist. <laughs> oh, that like if didn't, I did a Chinese, that didn't sound bad at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I, if I do Chinese or Spanish, it's gonna it's gonna get bad pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> okay, but. This is an Italian song. It's called I can't pronounce, it, but it's called like Priscin Colon Escanola Sul by Adriano Salantano, and he composed it. It's 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 all gibberish, but he composed it as to make it sound to an Italian ear how Americans talk. Right. And I think he does a pretty good job. I can't recall it because but... even if this, even though the song as, as gibberish, I kind of know what the song's about. <laughs> you know, it's got a particular right. cadence, and he's marching, he's strutting, he's talking about stuff. And and I thought it was a really now I don't. What know would you what say it, the song is about? It's about uh, it's 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 a but I okay now you've got me because it's more of a feeling. <laughs> cu- okay, yeah, I'm just curious if you had like a narrative running in your head. Um, about I think I have to listen to it again because there's okay. lots of like a challenge is issued and the crowd is saying things back and then there's a soul there's uh, a yeah there's so uh, it's a yeah. tale of a, a dance off good yeah. old fashioned American dance off. It kind of has it kind of has a little bit of the devil came to Georgia to it. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, huh. It's got a little bit of like Johnny Cads. It, it's a very particular particular type of. It's got a little bit of uh, like uh, Neil Simon to it. I think. All right. Anyway, hmm. uh, but I thought that was interesting. I don't know what it means, although it kind of lends you know this whole. Kafka-esque thing that's happening over the whole episode that we're going to talk about at the end. Uh-huh. Uh, anything else we want to talk? I mean, obviously, uh, we could talk about Maurice because here's the first another yeah. selfish, rash, poorly thought out action. I, it feels to me like after Emmett turned down Ray, that the very first parolee that failed a piss test, he he went to bully into doing this. And this yeah. is this is a classic Fargo that you that you hire you 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 hire the worst criminals to do stuff that needs a lot of finesse. Uh-huh. But this guy is like as he's sitting in a bar I'm like there's no way that this is going to go. <laughs> I mean I I couldn't predict how badly it went. Mm-hmm. Um cuz it ends up the guy he's on his phone with this therapist. He's smoking weed. He tries to throw his joint out the window. It he does a the dude yep. where it bounces, <laughs> bounces off, right burns his crutch, the crotch, but but Ray had wrote down his brother's address because he's hiring him to to uh, go steal the stamp. Mm-hmm. And he loses the paper. It gets sucked out the window, and he can't find it. But he knows enough about the information. He knows it's this. He knows just enough to ruin himself. He knows it's a Stucky. He knows it's an Eden something biblical. And it turns out, and this is real, there's a there's an Eden, I think, um, shoot, I forget what the, because I actually looked this up and wrote it down somewhere. Oh, Eden Valley versus Eden Prairie. Both yeah. kind of suburbs in Minnesota, and they're only an hour and a half apart. Right. So it's understandable. I mean, this is, like, if you live in the Midwest or have ever spent time in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. that's the most natural thing ever. Like, Indianapolis has so many greens around it. Greenfield. Greenwood. Right. uh, Greenville. Greensburg. They're everywhere. Yeah. Like, this is what the Midwest does. It takes uh-huh. one name and it just runs with it. It's a, it's like peaches in in Atlanta. Yeah, they they got right. a thing. We got fields and we got green things and we yep. got plain fields and we got green fields and we got uh, Greensburgs. It's 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 what we do. Yeah. Uh, so I I felt like this was all pretty interesting. And then we're introduced to Gloria, who is the Carrie Coon character. She's mm-hmm. the 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 chief of police of the small town. We d- we didn't talk about Scoot McNary. I think Scoot McNary. Is one of the one well, of the great more... actors in television right now, Maurice. Yeah, where do you know him from? Uh, I know him from *Halt and Catch Fire*. Right. I know he's also in. He's been in some movies recently. Um, I can't take the man seriously with a name like Scoot. A Scoot. It's such a good name. I think it's an alias. That's not his real name. Scoot. No. No one. No one <laughs> has ever named. That's a dog name. Yeah. This is an Indiana Jones situation. <laughs> he ran away to join the circus at sixteen, and he decided to name himself after the family dog. Yeah, it turns out, I guess it's just going to be like a cameo sort of thing, just a guest star one episode because right. he's crushed at the end of the episode. Well, that's very similar to the McCulkin kid. Right, to Rye from last season. From, from last season. Where yep. he, you know, they brought in a fairly recognizable name to do a very specific performance, and then yeah. uh, he got he got got. Uh her to Carrie Coon, and her father, stepfather rather, is Innes Stussy. Yeah. So he's an E. Stussy living in this other Eden place. Did you have a problem with this? This coincidence? Because I, I, <laughs> it doesn't feel... It feels like a plausible coincidence. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think I agree. I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, I'm the I king of maybe calling bullshit on yeah. coincidences. So, I mean, and maybe Noah Hawley's break, broken me finally. He hits me with the fish NATO. <laughs> he hits me with the... the, the, uh, the 
liquefied UFO, and I'm like, okay, fuck it. Eat. Yeah, so sure. There's this many Stussies in Minnesota. I believe that. Yeah. Um. So where was I going with that? So so Gloria Carrie Coons, she's got problems of her own. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you make of the fact that she goes to visit her father-in-law in his supermarket, and the door won't open for her? That's going to come I back felt... later on, yeah? Oh, yeah, you could be right. I mean, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, that's the problem I have is, like, what what property can a human being have that they don't show up on a motion detector? <laughs> I, I, for some reason, I read this as the kid turned the, turned the door off, essentially. Hmm. Because he didn't want to deal with people in the store and the grandpa is just that out of it that, that out of it that he's blitzed soft closed it yeah like he's he's getting wasted in the on his own supply is he yeah you see him take a couple drink a couple swigs of the the booze before he puts it away on the well, shelf no i didn't yeah it takes a couple big old swigs i saw him drink uh, frozen vodka right out of the freezer, which right. I'm like, my God, how does that that that? I feel like that's that would, what killed him. <laughs> yeah, that would instantly shatter your teeth. Yeah, and freeze your esophagus and kill you. Yeah, I read it as the kid kid shut it down because he wanted huh. to play Game Boy or whatever. Huh. I don't know. That he Game doesn't Boy. seem like that kind of kid. All right, he seemed more of a conscientious, uh, uh, you know, shy shy kid. Uh-huh. But uh, the big thing about her is that. Um, She's getting squeezed out of her chief position because this small town is being subsumed by the county, mm-hmm. and like many times to do, they're going to her department's going to get. She's going to be the highest ranking officer of the department, but she's only going to be the chief. Yeah, um, which is probably a big deal for people like this. Uh, anyway, her long story short, um, Maurice Scoot McNary uh, shows up uh, to her f- stepfather's house and. Duck takes him to a chair, and we're not clear on the details, but Ennis doesn't survive the experience. Yeah. And uh, Maurice steals what looks like it'd be a book of just conventional stamps. Uh-huh. And uh, goes back to Ray and demands pay, you know, pay, because this has gone bad wrong, and it, it's it's very, very... Um, very reminiscent of what happens in the original Fargo. That the 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 crooks yeah. bungle it, and now they want money that this guy doesn't have. And mm-hmm. uh, you know what are they going to do? Uh, his girlfriend thinks quickly and is able to do this complex thing where she's counting steps and she's timing it, which which is weird because it didn't actually go anywhere. I right? know. I I actually kind of love that. So. Okay. This whole time I'm thinking there's no fucking way she's going to hit him with this air conditioner. Right. And then he's stopping on the stairs to light a cigarette. He gets hung up on the banister. And then he stands out. And then he just chills out for a, in the like front. A, like a minute for them to get the uh, the air conditioner dropped on him. And it kills him in spectacular fashion. Oh, my God. It crushes him. <laughs> now, here's the other thing about the scene. Um I thought it was great because she uses this. She's she's very quick on her thing. She uses uh, the fact that she's a beautiful young woman to uh, throw Maurice off, and then she's she's also enthralled Ray enough that he doesn't get the obvious to like okay go for the gun. Yeah, we go. He finally goes for the gun, and he he, he loses it. <laughs> it's hilarious. But now up until this point, I thought she had no affection for Ray whatsoever. Yeah. But when Ray leaned back to kick that air conditioner out of the window, she looks at him with what I think is obvious affection. Mm-hmm. 
So and, what and is I your take on this relationship? Yeah, and I don't think she takes the heat on this thing for him if she doesn't care about him. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, at, at the end of this episode, I came away thinking she cares about this guy for whatever reason. Right. You know? Now, then she's, she she calls the cops and says this is a nine because apparently she's been complaining to the landlord to get this air conditioner. It's Christmas time. They established yeah. that several points where we got their Christmas lights up. Um, and she says, you're his parole officer. you got to get out of here. But I remember the first time I watched this thinking, this is pretty tidy. I don't know um, like I don't know how Carrie Coon solves this this mystery because the hardest the hardest crime to solve are the ones with no personal connection. Like that's why serial killers are so hard to find because they're just picking random targets and killing them. Yeah. Like, you know, if if someone close to you kills you, there's usually a motive. There's usually some kind of like, you know, long trail of grievances and there's always a suspect, right? But yeah. this because he the because Maurice fucked up and killed the wrong person, mm-hmm. I'm like, how are they going to track this back? But there's a couple hints, like you said, she's posting Facebook stuff that's going to connect the her to the parole officer. Um, the other thing is that Maurice was on the phone with a shrink, and he specifically mentions the angry conversation or the the mean conversation his parole officer had with him. Other than that, I don't uh, know what yeah. connects this. I mean that that note is out there. That- that piece of paper is out there with the yeah, address of the real person on it. That's true. Which could, you know, he could confuse. I mean, if you jump to the conclusion that, oh, maybe he got the wrong E. Stussy, maybe you go see the real one and then you connect Ray. But how would you find, I mean, that's the thing. And then like, you realize, oh, this that was his parole officer. How do you find a white scrap of paper yeah. in the frozen <laughs> the north, yeah. right? I don't know, man. Like, like if someone does, like I, I will, I will believe it will happen, but uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe it like blows up on Carrie Coon's porch or something. Because like if the cops find it, I'm like, there's no way. If a little yeah. kid finds it, if I'm a little, I if if I'm a little kid and I find that and I show it to my parents, they just like, okay, fine. Why'd you pick up trash? Throw it away. Actually, you probably get punished. What What are you looking at here? These people yeah, because, are doggy fucking. Because on also you <laughs> got the. On, that's the other thing about how what a what a scumbag Ray is. Yeah, things not, to do today. Not just scumbag. He's just what do you call it? Coarse, low, vulgar. Vulgar's yeah, a good vulgar's word. a good one. See, I thought that when V, what's his name, VM, uh-huh. uh huh, was. Saying his name, I thought he said VM Vulgar until I looked it up. Varga. But Varga, with his accent, I thought he said Vulgar, which was pretty funny. Right, right, right. Would have been. VM Vulgar. Um, The other thing I thought I I liked with um, the way that Holly filmed this is Maurice was always depicted as this this dragon-like beast. Just I mean, it's like three or three times that he was shown like superimposed over the background, and he was shaking his head and screaming. Oh yeah, and the his breath coming out. Like I don't know mm-hmm. what uh, what uh, it, it was almost like. You know, in the first season we had Eric on because he's this uh, you know Fargophile, a Cohen aficionado, and he talked about like that's one of the things the Far- the, the Cohen brothers like to do. They have this like um, unstoppable, mysterious, evil force. Like you see it as the biker in mm-hmm. Raising Arizona. Uh, obviously, Lorne Malvo in season one is the that archetype to a T. Mm-hmm. I feel like the imagery is being used here, but Maurice is just a moron. Yeah, like he's not an agent of evil; he's just a fuck up. <laughs> huh? Okay, I, I I get where you're coming from. Uh-huh. Um, not sure how I feel about it. I <sighs> is there any is there any reason they just had him getting high all the time? 
Because like that's what I thought was happening, not his breath coming out in those scenes, but oh, the smoke, the smoke from yeah, from the weed. That's a lot of smoke. Although it was funny when you rolled down the window and they showed the external sh- uh, shot of his El Camino or whatever going down the road, like smoke rolled out the window like Cheech and Chong. <laughs> uh huh. Like he had hot, like he had hot boxed the hell out of that. So may- maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But I don't know what they're trying to say. With okay. That. Um. So that's 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 kind of where we end the, the the episode. But there's one other detail I want to go back to talk about with with Gloria's family. Mm-hmm. So that it was her son's birthday, and they went over to her stepfather's. Um, we find out the other thing that that's, that's happened in the recent past is that Gloria and her husband's been divorced. Her husband's been revealed to be a gay man. Yeah, so that's probably a lot of. There's a lot of transition that she's going through, and I think she's handling it with a lot of grace because her stepfather. Uh. He's not. <laughs> He's being an asshole about it. And this is his son, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? I think so. Okay. Um, he's just, like, you know, going on and on about how this is, you know, against God's will and it's illegal. And also he's mm-hmm. kind of giving her digs about not being a chief anymore. And she's she's rolling all this. And we finally, uh, when her his dad comes to pick up her son, uh, I feel like his dad is a pretty like, – like, they have a pretty good relationship. Mm-hmm. So, I mean – Gloria has got like her shit together, even though her world's been kind of like turned upside down of late. Um, yeah. But her grandfather, his grandfather, presents her, her son, and I don't know. I'm, I'm I, I wish I knew the kid's name because I never caught it. With this model that he's carved of an uh, old man, kind of kicked back with a straw hat, and there's a, a there's a boy um, that's presenting something to him, and he says, "This is a reminder of that time we went camping." Yeah. But when uh, the the kid leaves it there after dinner, they 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 realize that on the way home they turn around in the in the gap between them leaving and them returning, Maurice has come and murdered uh, Ennis. Yeah. When she sweeps the house, she finds a trap door. She opens up. And there's a bunch of old science fiction books. One of them, The mm-hmm. Planet of W Y H, it has an almost identical scene depicted on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I don't either. The other thing is um, her stepfather's desk has a Hugo Award on it. Was it actually a Hugo or it's was it It's actually similar? a Hugo Award. It's a rocket. like the ro- okay. I mean, or I mean, if it's not the Hugo Award, you're supposed to think it's something like that. Right. And there's a bunch of like looks like fan correspondence, maybe some manuscripts. So yep. I think they're hinting at that her stepfather has a dark secret of being a, sci- a fairly famous science fiction writer. Yeah, potentially. Um I, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to set up something for season four here. Oh. Or maybe... Well, I've got UFO trauma. I know. So I'm like, oh, this better not be... This better not be any more alien shit, man. I don't... I, I can't handle it. I yeah, can't handle I'm with it. you. If they're, if I see a hint that there are going to be aliens in this show, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So that... Um, I think that's the majority of what I wanted to talk about. Is there anything that you had? Um. So... Uh, we didn't talk about that scene in the very beginning. You said you wanted to talk about right. that at the end, and it ties into a couple of different things here. It's so another, another piece of stunt camera work. What did you? Yeah. I thought it was a little much to start off the season inside a microphone. Oh, oh yeah, that that part of the opening scene. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I okay. It's fine. It's, okay. It's some fancy imagery. Um, it's East Berlin, October nineteen eighty eight. Right. What adds to the extra uh, Kafka-esque nature is that in November of 89, just over a year later, the Berlin Wall is going to fall. 
Hmm. And we have an East Berlin government official interrogating a German citizen about some imagined crime that he's committed. Yeah. And, I mean, do you, I mean, it's... So So this is basically a long-form way of saying the the this is a true story or mm-hmm. or whatever the text is that they've been putting at the beginning of this show right um which they do again uh this is a true story or something like that this is a true story they changed the names of this uh, for to to uh i don't know if to, to protect the survivors their their names have been changed to respect the dead all yeah. other details are exactly the same yeah um and some people were saying on reddit and i didn't go back and verify this but the last year when they they did the dissolve away from the text on that mm-hmm. the the word truth lingered for a while longer than the rest of the text mm-hmm. and that this year the word story, story did. is lingering a little bit I, longer. I I saw I saw the story thing I didn't see I I don't remember last year and I mean it it falls in line with kind of what this officer is saying right about you know that that is a story that you're telling us we're here to tell the truth yeah, um, facts versus words, story versus truth. Right. So I think they could be hinting at a theme for the season beyond just selfie culture. Yeah. What? But but the the, the reason this is so Kafka esque is they're looking for this murderer Yuri Gurka who killed his girlfriend. Yeah. And he's a twenty he's twenty some years old, and they've got this guy who's clearly in his mid forties. He says his name is Jacob Ungerleiter. Yeah. Um, and the only reason they pulled him in is because. He moved into this the, this killer, a presumed killer's apartment six months ago. Yeah. So it's clear that the government has messed up, but for whatever reason, you know, I, I, I don't know how true to life this is in, in, in communist uh, authoritarian dictatorships or whatever, but the, the state just can't make a mistake. You can't make a clerical error. So this guy must be a twenty. I mean, I there's got to be something else that they're that that they're, they're that that because because Jacob also seemed guilty. Yeah, and is relieved that they wanted him for something completely unrelated. Yeah, but he, he, I mean, in a country like this, it seems like you could feel guilty or nervous about being called into the government, even if you did nothing wrong. Sure. Like if you get in full 1984 mode. But I wonder if, you know, they're using this pressure of this official investigation into murder for someone who's clearly a a crime he didn't commit to apply pressure um, on him to confess to a crime maybe he did commit against the state. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure of like the overall meaning for the season and maybe we're going to see more of it. But there were a couple of things that stood out to me. First of all, um it coincidentally, he does have a girlfriend with or a wife with the first name of that woman, right? Um, which kind of to me parallels what happens with Maurice and his killing, yeah, with, Ennis with versus... e. Stussy, yeah, yeah, right. They have the same last name, not the same first name, right? A mistaken killing happens, or or the wrong person is killed. Um, there's some there's some kind of parallel there, and then the right. other thing that I mentioned or that I noticed is. The shoes that this guy is wearing that are soaked to the bone mm-hmm. with snow mm-hmm. are the exact same shoes that Emmett is yes. wearing later on. The house slippers. Right. And what that says, I have no idea, but so it's I, there. I saw some theories, and I'm going to be – I talked about this in The Leftovers, but I, after t- doing this for two, three years, I've kind of figured out that there is – 
certain types of outlandish theories that, that are bandied about in Fargo that I'm no longer interested in. Oh, yeah. So yeah, if you right. have a hot theory, uh, it better be really well supported and germane to the episode and not just like what if. Now, um, that said, I'm going to talk about some theories that are running around now this, that this Yuri Gurkha is somehow related and could actually be the goon that shows up and shakes down Emmett, who identifies himself as VM Varga. Now, there's no real connection there other than VM Varga looks like he would be about the same, like about the appropriate age. He's totally changed his accent? No, no, no. He's not the guy. The guy being interviewed is Jacob Ungerleader. Oh. The VM Varga is actually Yuri Gurkha, the murderer. Okay. Because if he's 20 years old and you, you go forward from 88 to 2000, that's about 22 years. Yeah. David Thewlis looks like, and he's got a distinctly European English accent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people are wondering if there's some connection there, or maybe maybe it's the other way. Maybe it is the J- Jacob Unger Leaguer that. Uh, well, no, there's no way. There's no way that he could be that. So because he's yeah. too old, mm-hmm. he would be in his 60s. But I don't know. You're right. I don't know what other connections other than you know the truth versus fiction. Uh, the the Kafka s nature. Now, there's other another tragedy is if this guy goes, you know, gets gets shot or put in prison. If this happened a year later, you know, the Berlin the Berlin Wall falls and you know they don't live in a police state anymore. Uh-huh. So I wonder if there's also going to be something like, what if Ray is actually going to come into a bit of money, or what if his brother was going to give him the stamp anyway, and this events he set in motion are going to, you know, if he had just waited and bided his time. Uh-huh. Uh, Maybe a little patience. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, I feel like they did a pretty good job setting up an interesting season. Yeah. I think the, the characters are there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I, I guess I shouldn't have expected any more after kind of, you know, taking a look at Molly from, from the previous season and, uh, you know, Patrick Wilson and stuff like those characters aren't ever that exciting. Mm -hmm. Like they're there to be the rock. They're there to be the, the foundation of the show, but like all the characters. So I, I'm, you know, still up in the air about Carrie Coon's character. Well, I mean, she, but she's also a direct, she's the most direct descendant from Francis McDermott's portrayal. Absolutely. The first movie, like she's just this unflappable, um, like you said, the rock that everything else kind of swirls around. Yeah. And, I get that. It's just not that exciting. Yeah. Um, whereas these other characters seem to have real personality in life, and I, I think I'm going to enjoy watching them. The other Fargo trope is that we see the crimes unfold as they happen. There's yep. no suspense about who did it. Mm-hmm. The suspense is: are the guilty going to be punished, and are the law enforcement going to be able to figure out the the? Because like, you know, again, but with these these random acts, because. Rye wasn't killed by another gangster. He wasn't even killed by the you know any reprisals from killing the judge. He just got accidentally ran over. Right, and that's very hard to figure out. Uh-huh. You know, um, and the and and that kind of is a pattern that Fargo repeats. That like the it seems like the police have nothing to go on, mm-hmm. and just by pulling out threads, pulling out threads, they figure they figure something out. Yeah, so. I don't know. What did you think? The other thing I want to talk about is what did you think of Ewan McGregor's accent? Because I thought everybody else is pretty solid. I saw some praise on the forums and other place, but I felt like it felt like an English guy doing a Minnesota accent to me. 
I, so I feel you on Emmett. For some reason, like there's this distinction between Emmett and Ray. Oh no, they're very distinct characters. I, I think Ray's accent is actually pretty good, so and Emmett's is a little iffy. Do you think Emmett's more of an upper? That's class? what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, because we talked about that before. That we've seen like you know posh, like like everybody's got. It's kind of like in the South. Uh-huh. Uh, that's something that, I, that this this latest um, S Town podcast was really good because a very intelligent Southerner like. Sounds to a, a foreign ear as ignorant as a stupid ass Southerner. There's something about that accent that just made like huh, like you could okay. be fucking Einstein, and if you got that deep South shit kicking drawl, no one's going to take you serious. And I feel like the Minnesota hmm. accent is that kind of same thing. Like mm-hmm. people have expectations for you, but there are differences. Like I feel like a Southerner could probably distinguish between a Southern gentleman or gentlewoman. Oh and, yeah your average shit kicker where a person from the coast would not. I mean, the true ignorance lies in the people who judge them, right? Like, Well said. Um, as someone with a little bit of a draw myself, I, I, I felt that prejudice <laughs> a time or two. Yeah. But, but, but I do think that maybe that's you're on to something there, that he's trying to do more of an upper-class Minnesota nice. Yeah, maybe. To raise more rough-spun and folksy Minnesota accent. Yeah, I have a hard time imagining that Ewan McGregor wouldn't be able to pull off an accent i mean it happens all the time there's like shitty shitty american accents and like this is not a particularly easy one to do i don't think you're probably right about now you that. can lean into the you betches and okay now and that yeah. that that kind of stuff to get you halfway there he but... seems to be avoiding those mostly as well hmm. um you know he, do- he doesn't use a lot of the same uh I guess vernacular that we're we're used to seeing from, you know, like Meth Damon last season. Oh, there's or, a lot of the, oh, yeah, Ray. Jeez, don't take offense, pal. I mean, there's there's quite a bit of. Was he uh, doing that? Oh man, I don't even notice. Well, yeah, it's hard to. I, I I got these this dialogue in my notes, but I, I didn't say whether it was whether it was Emmett or Cy taking this stuff. Yeah, because Cy has a much thicker um, Minnesotan. Or he leans into those you know yeah. peculiar like, peculiarities more. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, what else? What else do we want to do? We want to talk about. Uh, that's about all I've got. Um, okay, i i am I am excited for this show. Um, I want <laughs> I want to like it, and I, I want to be as excited as I was about the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. And I hope they um, they don't go too far overboard on the style stuff because, like, that was one of the things about Legion, um, which is also a No Holly production. We recently covered it. Um, sometimes they got a little too indulgent with that stuff, mm-hmm. and it started making the true story of of the series a little less interesting to me. Uh, and I hope they don't go overboard with that here. Yeah, I mean, so this is like the fourth thing. This is going on because, we, as you said, we covered Legion. Um, this is the fourth thing we see Noah Hawley do, and it seems like he does this really high-concept stuff and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because yeah. like we were worried in the midpoint in the legion that this was going to pay off and then i i don't know how you, i i think you feel the same way as i do mm-hmm. that uh by the end of the season it was it was really really good like like it, yeah. everything came together and they stuck the landing and it was a really engaging piece of television but you're you're kind of worried because you've seen season 2 of fargo and like oh my god or season 2 yeah. of fargo fell apart for me at the end where other people, other people are delighted. I mean, it's, it's clearly, <laughs> but he does do this audacious, very, you know, high concepts work with a lot of 
underpinnings of philosophy, and now he's got bridge going, and like there's all this esoteric stuff that's swirling in his head, and he gets it out there, and sometimes it s- sticks, and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, you combine it with a series that very much has its own style, like mm-hmm. Fargo. Um, it can it can be a little overwhelming at times. Maybe I just have Holly fatigue from now seeing this being the fourth mm-hmm. th- season or the fourth series I've watched. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I just want an engaging story, and I think he has pulled that off mostly Yeah. Um, in the previous two seasons. Uh, yeah. Certainly in season one, it was super engaging. Season two was 90% engaging for me. Uh-huh. Um, I'm hoping he can deliver just as much here. And I, going forward with Noah, uh, I would like to see him do something that's more of his own thing. Yeah. Because we talked about this, even Legion, you know, it's a Marvel property, and he was clearly going with a lot of, like, uh, Kubrick and Wes Anderson Mm, influences. And Fargo, of course, he would be an insane person (laughs) not to go after Cohen influences. Right. if your whole career has been made up of intentionally aping other people's influences, what is your own style? What do you have to say? Uh, And I guess after he gets done with Fargo, and, I mean, it seems like for the foreseeable future he's going to be doing Fargo and Legion. That seems like a full friggin' plate. Uh, I, I would kinda, like to see him. I kind of almost feel like this should maybe be the last season of Fargo. Yeah, because how many times can they go back to this well? Because and tell the same essential story, right? It, you're right, because it's, it's an anthology, but a very limited one, because yeah. they feel like they have to go through this Fargo formula. And already, you can start to see where there's the same characters. They're just shuffled to different genders and different social classes right. and different sides of the law, but they're the same essential archetypes of characters. Yeah. I I I would almost advise them to you know keep it short and sweet, mm-hmm. just just make it a few seasons if you want to do maybe one more if you have a great idea. But you never know because I felt the same way about like American Horror Story, and then like every once in a while they'll have like a like a season that kind of puts them back on the map, and like okay, well I, uh-huh. I wouldn't want them to stop two seasons ago because I got this season. Yeah, that's true. Maybe Fargo can be like that too. Yeah, but it was fun, and I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Uh, shall yep. we get into feedback? Let's do it. Before we get into feedback, I want to tell you about clubbaldmove.com. And if you haven't joined us since last year, we've got a way that you can get a free trial. If you go to club.baldmove.com, you can sign up absolutely free. It's a great way to support us. We're doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of smaller kind of boutique shows right now. And the only reason we can do that is because we run Bald Move as a full-time gig. So we've got the time to uh, do all the analysis on all the shows. And it takes a lot of time to do it. Uh, So you can support us, but you also get a lot of really cool features. One of the things that we do is what we call first-run bald movies, where we see a show that opens on Friday, Thursday night, and we give a spoiler-free review and discuss the trailers for everybody. But then we get deep into the spoilery weeds for our club members. This last week we saw Fate of the Furious. Um, which is a silly show, but it came up. We I thought we did a pretty funny review of it. It's so and much fun! It was a lot of fun. You know, this is the eighth movie we've seen of these types, and you know what you're getting into. But what we're about to uh, at the end of the podcast, we have a a preview, and it's not very spoilery because we're essentially discussing the first five minutes of the film, where we we break down the action as as uh, Dominic Toretto uh, engages in a very unconventional race. <laughs> <laughs> in in Havana, Cuba. So if you want to get a preview of the type of content you can get exclusively for club members, check out the very end of the podcast. Go to club.baldmove.com to see everything else. You get ad-free feeds, exclusive online content, VIP access to the forums, tons of stuff. Go to club.baldmove.com, and thanks in advance for your support. 
Davey Mack, first up, says, I came into this knowing nothing except that Ewan McGregor was playing the brothers and that Carrie Coon was in it. So I was pleasantly surprised to see the rest of the cast. I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I was thrilled to see Michael Stolberg from the great Cohen film, A Serious Man, and also from Boardwalk Empire. Then David Thewlis, none other than Professor Lupin and Knox Harrington, the video artist from The Big Lebowski. Oh, shit, I forgot he was in Big Lebowski, too. Yeah. Straight up Cohen Brothers uh, cred. Uh, pops up as uh, uh, and I almost jumped out of my seat. I love him as an actor and haven't seen him show up in anything for years. Anyway, I'm still processing this episode. I thought the opening was great and it pulled me right in, literally with that wooded picture in the background. We didn't talk about that too. Is it dramatic license that this uh, police officer has a framed picture of the woods that we then zoom into? in uh yeah, minnesota gotta be, gotta be. or mean, do you, you think that, that there is a direct i mean there's some I'm, this time I, travel is there, <laughs> is there vortexes of, of space no, I, time? Mean, I mean literally we didn't go through the picture i'm just <laughs> uh-huh. saying there is a concrete sure? link between that first scene and the current events in 2010 in minnesota right the slippers are connected the picture of the woods connected there might be more connected but I'm, I'm i i just wonder if that is going to be significant uh, I mean, I'm always drawing kind of a distinction between like significant to the plot or significant thematically, right? Because I because think thematically, thematically, right? Thematically, certainly, um, those are intentionally placed there as things you should notice. Uh, is d- does this guy having these slippers mean that he's one of the guys from this future time? No, not necessarily. I don't think so. Um. I just think they're trying to make thematic connections. And, it's just and weird that it were, they were the exact same trees. Like, if it dissolved into woods like those trees, right. it's just weird to me that it's the exact same stand of trees framed in his office that we then rejoined 22 years later in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I thought performances were solid all around, though it is weird seeing McGregor do his accent thing. I feel like Fargo is impeccably made. It's a nice setup, and I hope Holly can keep his formula fresh. That's that's the question. That's the concern. Mm-hmm. And I saw that echoed in a lot of the professional reviews that like everyone thought this was droll and fun, but also what are what is he going to do new this year? Yeah, and also like the UFO ship was new. I didn't like <laughs> it. Right. So like, if he pulls out a twist that's new, am I going to like the twist? Yeah. Uh, Emin of Seattle says, spoiler alert, something I didn't quite catch is the man being interrogated in East Germany, the same man who just basically loan sharked a rich, uh, rich brother's business. I think he's going the same, like, uh, I don't think the man being interrogated, that's what I was going to, I I don't, I don't think he's the same guy because this guy was like in his forties and David Thewlis is not, I don't think in his mid sixties. Yeah, I can I can look it up while you're. Uh, but but what, however old he is in real life, I mean, I don't I don't know what they're. But but to me, like the ages doesn't work. Now he could be fifty four. He could be the mistaken identity killer in the the, the East Berlin office. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he continues or they continue. This seems like classic Fargo already, where the crime's spinning out of control. I really liked the episode, but some little things are bothering me. Like, why did the police chief grab her shotgun and radio for backup as soon as she saw the door busted in? Um, I mean, I have. I mean, I have a CCW and carry a nine millimeter in the console of my car, so I'd have armed myself and called nine eleven before entering my house. If I came back and have my door breached open, I it seems weird a cop wouldn't immediately assume home invasion and act accordingly. Where do you live? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, do you live <laughs> because 
I live in the city, and even if I came in my front door slightly ajar, I don't know that I would immediately call the cops. I'd be like, oh, did the wind blow it up? Did I forget to shut it? Did my cat do something stupid? Like, I don't, I don't, especially if you know there's someone in the house or there was. Right. um, Like, maybe they just opened it and went around back or something. Right. And I I mean, I guess if you got, if you're running around toting a nine millimeter, like, that kind of paints you as a little, little hyper vigilant. So well, maybe you would jump to that conclusion, but a, a right. person who's well, – of course, most police officers I would put in the hypervigilant yeah, category yeah. as well. Right. But we're talking about Minnesota here. And what you does know, she know about her father? Rural Minnesota. What does she know about her stepfather or father-in-law? Sure. We don't know that. Like, you know, does she think, oh, he went to go get a frozen bottle of vodka again? <laughs> right. And, Keeps him out outside. Yeah. and But no, but I'm, I'm telling you what. In in this town, nobody locks their doors. Right. That's what I mean. Like, right. they're not used to the idea of home invasions right. so much. Right. I mean, you go to certain parts of the country where people make fun of you for locking your car. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, if they, 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 they will comment if you click. They'll be like, oh, look at this fucker. Things, crime happens out here. <laughs> so, of course, crime happens everywhere, but sure. it's just not, it's not a real thing to them. So, I don't know. Diff- different perspectives. Allison R. So, did you notice the name they mentioned at the beginning of the Fargo episode where the three men are smoking cigars in the study is an Airman Trout? Oh, yeah. We forgot to talk about that. Mike's last name in Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Uh, I think I noticed it right away because I watched this week's Better Call Saul episode right before and they had mentioned it there. Now, yeah. what's weird is I watched this on the Fox app mm-hmm. my second time through. And the subtitle said he was an ermine trout, spelled exactly like Mike. Yeah. But he's credited and mentioned in like reviews as Ermine Traub, with spelled with the with 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 the the ermine is spelled differently, and that instead of a trout, it's a trob. And huh. Holly confirms that's the spelling. So I thought it was a fun little nod to what Vince is doing over on the other channel, but it seems like – I mean, Armand Trout does sound like a Minnesota-type name. Absolutely, yeah. So I don't know. There might, It doesn't seem like there's an obvious connection there. And certainly the idea that this might be Mike's brother from another universe, <laughs> I, I, and some people were going that far. Jesus. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. Now, middle of the season, this guy shows up, and it's, it's Jonathan Banks. We can we can get her <laughs> right. we can get her speculation hats out. Yeah, and... I thought it it felt weird to me, and I know I'm in this like weird elite class of Breaking Bad aficionados, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. to me, it was almost far too obvious of a reference. I was like, man, they could have picked something subtler. But I uh-huh. think to a lot of people, that was probably pretty subtle. If even if they caught it, how many people you know? know that Jonathan Banks' character is every, right? Everybody knows how many Mike. people know it's Mike, and then how many people know it's Mike Ermintrout? Right. To me, it was super obvious, but I know that's a minority yeah. view. And also, Ermin, I mean, that's a that's an odd name, but, like, think of all the odd names we've heard on Fer- Fargo. Yeah. Salverson and mm-hmm. Gunderson and... Burgle. Burgle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gloria Burgle. Uh-huh. Now, it's funny, because now that you mentioned that, that's something else I forgot to talk about. Um, a lot of the last names of the law enforcement uh, has been, like, tied, like, you know... Um, uh, a lot of last names seem like they mean something. Like Solverson's has the word "solve" in it, and they're yeah. solving a crime. And and uh, uh, who is the the Billy Bob Thornton? Um, Malvo. Malvo, yeah. you know, has a very like Mal's bad good connection to it. Burgle. Yeah, I mean, it starts with a burglary, right? Right. <laughs> so right is that like that's 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 pretty on the nose. A little bit, yeah. What if she turns to a life of crime because she's getting squeezed out as uh, for oh, chief? Oh man. 
uh, Carrie Coon uh, as a outlaw renegade uh, anti-hero to get vengeance for her step stepfather. Yeah, maybe she ends up having to steal the stamp. Mm. Somehow. Mm. Yeah, she's a cat burglar. <laughs> I could believe. I mean, the way she swept that house with that shotgun. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. She looks like she she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Because that's it all. We didn't get a lot. Uh, traditionally, Fargo starts a little slow with the feedback. Um, and also, we're 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 doing it a day early than we usually do because our schedule is so jam packed. Yeah, that we're having to really stretch and hustle to get all these shows in. So. For the foreseeable future, uh, for at least the next four or five weeks, we're going to be doing this, uh, releasing our Fargo cast on Thursdays, mm-hmm. which you get it a day early. The 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 downside is it's really compressing the time that we have to watch and do our research and get feedback in. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure if we'll continue to do it on Thursdays once our schedule frees up in a couple of weeks, or whether it's probably depends on how good of a job we feel like we're doing and. Uh, mm-hmm. And how and how uh, stress how much how much stress it's putting us uh, on us on Thursday and Friday, but uh, just want to get that out there. Um, so yeah, if you have feedback you'd like to send it in, you can send it in to Fargo at BaldMove.com, and uh, we'll see you back for the second episode next week. I think this is the most cohesive plot they've had in the good, good, yep. fast and furious. Now that you're going to see some insane stuff, like the the <laughs> opening in the opening scene was beautiful shots of Cuba, yeah. and Havana. Which can we go there now? Can we just get on a plane and go I to Cuba now? Think so because I honestly can't wait. That's like I want to do that in the next two years because I think. It looks beautiful. Before they upgrade their cars, like update. Them. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, yes, yes. Like I want to get there before. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like I'm saying I want to get there while it's still a third world shithole. But I want to get there while it still has the Cuban flavor. You but know? do you think? You don't wanna... so do you, how? But do you think how long do you think it's going to take to beat that out of them? Like they're oh, surely time, not going to but... like like even after it's been completely commercialized, they're still going to be driving around those old ass yeah. classic Chevys because they're fucking cool. That's true. So, like, they'll just be ever more tricked out and fancy. They might be with... sick of them, man. They're cool to us because we haven't seen them in 50 years, 60 years, but they might be sick of that shit. Like, I... I've been driving around this piece of shit. <laughs> i got a boat engine in my car. I'm done with this. Give me a Prius, <laughs> motherfucker. Yes. No one saw that coming, that they did just willingly give away right. their, all, their, their shitty 50s Chevys in, in favor of smart cars. Yeah. And uh, Teslas. They're all about Tesla. Um, but it was awesome. But here's the thing. Dom says, you know, well, you can have the car if you want to take the car. You got to win the car. Uh-huh. And the guy's like, I already own the car, motherfucker. And Vin's like, no, no, no. It's my out. car. And, he, you know, he's got this souped up muscle car like he does. And uh, the guy <laughs> races him. Here's the thing. This guy's got the slowest car in Cuba. All right. <laughs> His cousin. <laughs> yeah. Vin starts saying. If it ain't the battery or the motor or the gas pedal, rip it off. And he takes, like, the two fenders off, and that's it. Yeah, he kicks the – he beats it up like Street Fighter. At <laughs> <laughs> the bonus stage of Street Fighter. Yeah. But he just stops when he gets the first the, – the two quarter panels done. Right, right. He doesn't go around the like, back. Like, I want to see the windshield gone. I want to see the roof the gone. Roof. I want to yep. see, like, the trunk gone. Like, he should have got stuff. out that big saw that yeah. he saws through the limousine with. Hell Yeah. 
bust bust that car into pieces. Turn it into a trike, and you might have a chance. <laughs> uh, get rid of the giant fat roll he got back on the neck. There's 10, 15 pounds right there. That's just dead weight, yeah, Vince. Maybe put someone smaller in the that's cockpit. Just, that's, just dead, that's just dead weight, Vin. Oh, man. Uh, but anyway... So he hooks up a NOS, a Cuban NOS, which is got yeah. it's wrapped up like some kind of Cuban cigar, and they put it in there, and they hook it up with like some kind of Diet Coke tab, and Letty's all like, oh, Vin, you're going to blow this shit up? He's like, yeah, but before I do that, I'm going to win the race. <laughs> and I'm telling you, he pops the NOS on this piece of shit car, yep. and the engine is glowing like white hot. Like yeah. like Chernobyl, like the elephant's foot is mel- molting through the reactor core and, and breaching containment. Yeah, <laughs> and the whole car, the whole thing is engulfed in flames. <laughs> it is. So he 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 flips and his around. windshield like melts out. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's too hot and pops out. Yeah, and he's being burned alive. In the he is, but he's surprisingly resistant to flame. This is like Danny yeah. from Game of Thrones. You need to remember this for season season seven. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He flips it in reverse and then hits somehow, the NOS again. But, but he, no, but he pulls the NOS and the hose off. Oh, I didn't understand right. this part of it. And suddenly it's triple charged. Mm-hmm. The engine ex- – but he's going like 150 miles an hour in reverse. He's beating this guy in reverse, which I don't even know how that, that works. I don't think that works. And the then, gears aren't there for it. No. It's like <laughs> it's like racing someone in first gear. Yeah. Then the, expo- the engine exploding mm-hmm. gave him the little extra thrust to actually win the race. <laughs> And then he can't stop it because the brakes have melted out of the because the thing. whole front of the car is is essentially a blacksmith's forge at this point, right? And it hits an embankment. He rolls out, yeah, like like it's nothing on concrete. Yeah, and then it hits this embankment, goes up into the air, and lands in the ocean. Yeah, 